Good morning, Lake Hills Church. How are y'all? You, you look good. Glad you're here. I'm glad to be here too. My name is Whitney Wiseman, and I'm on staff at Lake Hills Church. My family has been a part of the Lake Hills Church family for 12 years, which is weird because I'm like 19. Um, and actually, that's not entirely true. My husband and I have been a part of the Lake Hills Church family for 12 years. Lucy has been a part of the Lake Hills Church family for one year last week. And um, Byron is our three-year-old. And we are so blessed by LHC Kids and really just to be a part of this church and I'm so excited to be with you this morning. And as we get started, let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, for, for being a way maker. God, a miracle worker. Lord, we stand in awe of you. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity for us to gather together on Sunday mornings to worship you, to learn more about you, to see your face a little more clearly. And God, that is my prayer this morning, that we would see your face a little more clearly today. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen. All right, I'm going to start by uh, polling the congregation here. Um, raise your hand if you have 2020 or better vision. Let's see. I don't, so I can barely see you guys. Okay, so a few of you. So by a show of hands, who like struggles like me to see the big E at the top of the eye chart? Yeah, see, you guys are my people. You get it. The struggle is real sometimes, and no more so than during the, the summer seasons um, because... As a child growing up, I got my first pair of glasses in kindergarten. They were purple sparkle, very cool, but not quite as cool as my next pair of glasses that took me from, um, from first grade all the way to sixth grade when I got contacts. Um, and these glasses were super cool. They were um, round wire rim glasses before Harry Potter was cool, and uh, they were tortoise shell, so they matched everything. Very chic. I loved these glasses so much. Every year when our insurance like re-upped and I could get a new pair of glasses, I said, no thank you, I already have the best pair of glasses. And so I wore these glasses all the time, um, but I mentioned summer is kind of a hard season because of swimming. You can't wear glasses when you're swimming. Um, so I, I came up with a strategy. I would put my glasses on the edge of the pool, I would swim with my friends, and then I would come back and hope that they were there waiting for me when I was ready to get out. And that worked really well until this one time at summer camp where I put them in the side of the pool next to the big four. It was big enough. I was hoping I would be able to see it. Um, so I made my way back to the edge of the pool after sharks and minnows and Marco Polo and all that. And I climbed out next to the big four and crunch. Just smashed my glasses into a million pieces, which was very tragic um, because I didn't have a backup pair. Because why do you need a backup pair when you have like the best pair of glasses ever? So I didn't have a backup pair. And I remember two things about the rest of that week at summer camp. One was having to call my parents on the camp payphone to tell them that I broke my glasses. Um, and if you're a student, you can ask your parents what a payphone is on the way home. And the second thing I remember is my friends having to lead me around camp to make sure I didn't like bump into a tree or walk into someone else's cabin. The struggle was, was really, really real that summer. But a lot of you can relate to that disorienting feeling of waking up and not being able to see where you are or what's going on until you put your glasses or your contacts in. Some of you are lucky enough to, to not know what that is like. But 
One thing that we all can relate to is the fact that we live in a broken world. And part of that brokenness is spiritual blindness. And that spiritual blindness affects how we see and relate to God. It affects how we see and relate to one another. And it affects how we see and understand our purpose and our mission, ourselves. We are going to take a look at um, Acts chapter nine today um, and, and look at the story of Saul, who saw the face of Jesus. Saul tells us that the solution to spiritual blindness is seeing Jesus. So if you are just tuning in online, we're glad that you are here. If you're in the house today, also glad that you are here. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, you've missed a lot of exciting stuff that happened in Acts for the early church. We saw Jesus' ascension into heaven. We saw the pouring out of the Holy Spirit onto the disciples that gave them power to do miracles and boldly preach the good news of Jesus. And because of that, we saw the church grow exponentially. And along with that church growth, we saw some serious growing pains. One of the growing pains that we highlighted last week was um, the killing of Stephen, a church leader, one of the first martyrs, the, the first martyr recorded, um, who boldly proclaimed his faith um, and was killed because of that. And the end of that story ends in Acts chapter eight. In verse one, it tells us that those who were throwing stones took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a man named Saul. Saul, who the scripture says, heartily agreed with the killing of Stephen. So that's our first introduction to Saul. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up from there and we're gonna start in Acts chapter nine. And we're gonna look at verse one. So meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, those who followed Jesus, any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. To say that Saul is a man on a mission is an understatement. He is focused, he is all in, he is devoted, he is prepared, and he is not in this position by chance. See, he has worked his way up to this position, to this mission, to this goal, by studying and serving God with his, for his whole life. We get a, a snapshot of Saul from, um, from his own perspective in Philippians 3, so listen to this. He says this of himself. I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness... I obeyed the law without fault. That is quite the resume. That is a lengthy list. One thing that is not on that list, humility. He's not even like pretending to like humble brag. There's no hashtag blessed at the end of this tweet. He is like, he has put it all out there. And anything that you could bring, he has done it better, he has done it faster, and he did it before you. He is not joking around. 
He does acknowledge that some of these privileges he's had from birth. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day. So literally, he starts off better than you. From the very beginning, he is ahead of the game. He's a part of God's chosen people, the people of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, a tribe that was held with great esteem. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Hebrew son to Hebrew parents, and he hasn't adopted any of the ways of the world into his life. Other achievements he accomplished on his own accord, those include being a Pharisee, a member of the strictest sect of Judaism, he is a persecutor of the church, and he has a flawless record when it comes to obeying the law. His report cards is gold stars across the board. He is a man on a mission and he will stop at nothing and for no one to accomplish his goal. And that is who we're working with this morning. We're gonna pick up in verse three. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but had not seen anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul thought he had it all figured out. He thought he had it all down. He thought he knew it all. He was confident. He uses that word from, in Philippians, confident, like two or three times. He is confident in his convictions. And he dove wholeheartedly and headfirst into his mission. And then his world got rocked and that mission got interrupted. And everything he thought he knew for certain was turned upside down. He was so consumed with obedience to the law that he was blind to the truth of the one true God, the God he was set out to serve. Have you ever gone full force into something, like really committed and felt really good about it, only to like, maybe it didn't work out so well on the backside? Um, I have, I feel like these guys can, can relate. Check this out. The pain had seemed to Wayne Wade smell that a long, all the way through. Oh, and a flat tire on the way up yes. This was a no-doubter, but that day's gone. Steal by DeRozan. And he spins it and blows the layup. Now Hardaway drops it off for Jason Smith. Hardaway in a similar situation last night, Clyde. Right, right. Let's take a look at DeRozan, he can jump. <laughs> oh, space, turn back. Oh, I believe he was turned oh, back. By the rim. By the rim. Yes. Ian Clark for three. Steve Kerr, just a moment. This is Spates. Yes, the rim <laughs> with the rejection. We'll be right back. I love that, like that slow motion because, like, sometimes when I like feel really good about something, and then I I realize this is not going to work out, but it's too late. We're already there. And also, my favorite, the spin move. He was feeling really good about that one, but that did not work out so well. But maybe if sports aren't your thing, um, let's let's take a look at this image of, of Brittany and Justin. See, 
these guys really went for it here, yeah? Like, they were feeling the denim look. And, like, there is something that seems kind of right, but also, like, so wrong. And I'm not saying that this was the final nail in their coffin, but it probably was the final nail in the coffin of, of their relationship. It's funny when it's fashion, and even embarrassing when it comes to sports or you're on a stage, but being wrong about something that you feel so strongly about, when it comes to our convictions, it can be devastating. It can be earth-shattering. It's certainly disorienting. Saul is on a road to Damascus to complete a mission, not just to defend his beliefs, not just to defend his way of life, but to defend the God of Israel. And as he marches onward, I can just see him focusing with each step. He feels like he is getting closer to his mission. He marches on and he marches on and he maintains his focus and he does what what one might do when they're trying to keep their focus on God, he's probably quoting scripture to himself, scripture that he learned as a child in vacation Bible school. He may be singing hymns of praise, likely from the Baptist hymnal, and he is probably praying prayers for God's favor and God's power and God's presence, perhaps even to see God's glory as he marches on towards this mission, and then suddenly, his mission is interrupted by a bright light. And I wonder that if he thinks maybe his prayers are coming true, maybe, just maybe, he is catching a glimpse of the glory of God. Maybe all the things that he has worked for, finally he's seeing a reward. So he marches on, he steps into the light, and he looks up and he does indeed see the glory of God and in the light it is the face of Jesus. And that is not who Saul expected to see. Can you even imagine? That's a lot to process. Like I can't, like thinking about all the things that could be going through his mind. I have to be honest, I can imagine at least some of what Saul might have been feeling. Because I have had the images that I have built of God up in my mind, shaped and torn down and rebuilt and broken and built again. I'll never forget my first day of seminary in Systematic Theology One. our professor said, we, the words that we use will never fully exhaust who God is. And I thought, well why am I here? <laughs> And over time, I realized that I'm here, we're all here, because the words that we use will never fully exhaust who God is, but they are worth sharing because we have a message of hope and good news in Jesus Christ. So, though we'll never fully comprehend who God is, I hope that with each step of my spiritual journey, I'm seeing the face of Jesus a little more clearly that I'm reflecting the image of God a little more accurately, that I'm shining the light of God's love a little brighter in the world because that is what we are called to do as followers of Christ. So yes, I can imagine what Saul might have been thinking. The shame, the horror, the awe, the glory, the hope, the desperation that he must have been feeling as he stands there in the middle of that bright light and hears the voice of God speak directly to him. Saul thought he knew the God that he was serving. But God was revealing a side of God's self that Saul had been blind to. 
in a humbling and shocking manner. It is here on the road to Damascus that Saul encounters Christ, that Saul sees the face of Jesus. And like Stephen, the man whom he heartily affirmed the killing of Saul, sees heaven and earth merge in this moment, and he catches a glimpse of God's glory, and he realizes that everything he has been taught is both turned upside down and confirmed, because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had fulfilled the promise that God made to God's people to rescue them, but had done so in the shocking person of Jesus Christ. And Saul realizes in that moment that Jesus is the one true God that he has been serving. See, seeing Jesus transforms our relationship with God. It transforms how we relate to God. Where works were once the way for Saul to be in a right relationship with God, he sees now that Jesus and grace are the means by which he can be in a relationship with his creator. Saul's encounter proves to him that not only is Jesus alive, but Jesus is the son of God, and that Jesus makes a way for us to get back to God. Once more, Jesus says that Saul, the one that Saul is persecuting, the followers of Christ, the believers, the early church, are one and the same as Jesus himself. Listen to verse five again. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Somehow, the very men and women that Saul has set out to drag back to Jerusalem in chains are Jesus himself, The believers are Jesus's people. They are God's family. They are an extension of Jesus, of Christ, in the world today. So not only is Saul's perception of God blown to pieces, Saul's perception of people is redefined too. An encounter with Christ will do that to you as well. Seeing Jesus redefines, it changes our posture towards people. Seeing Jesus for who he really is, the son of God, and realizing what he did for all of us, you, me, for everyone, redefines how we engage with one another, how we see one another. God changes the lens through which Saul sees people, but not just for Saul. He also does it for a man named Ananias. So while all of this is happening on the road to Damascus, God is already at work in Damascus preparing something for Saul. We're gonna pick up in verse 11. To Ananias, the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he may see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard, the many, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as the people of Israel. So Ananias is understandably hesitant to just jump right in and like say hi to Saul. Saul poses a real threat, not just to him personally, to his family, but to all of the believers that are in Damascus. And personally, I am surprised that there are any believers left in Damascus, because if I had heard this guy was coming and what his mission was and who was supporting him, I would have packed up my family in the minivan and gotten out of there. 
but a vision from Jesus changes the way Ananias sees Saul. If Jesus' followers are an extension of himself, Saul, having met Jesus on the road to Damascus, would now be enveloped into that fold, would be a part of God's family. So, with a new lens, Saul, Ananias obeys. Let's read verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. Brother Saul is what Ananias says. Brother Saul. Not like my like bro from the neighborhood or like old frat bro, like brother as in part of this family. Like come again? Like are, are you kidding? Ananias re- realizes that Saul is now a part of this family and he welcomes him into that kinship. Ananias, who was once afraid of Saul, now sees him as a brother with a shared mission. Seeing Jesus transformed how Ananias related to Saul. And because of his obedience, scales fall from Saul's eyes, and his eyes are open to a brand new world, the new reality where Jesus is king and grace abounds for all people. There is a Jewish French, French philosopher named Emmanuel Levinas. Emmanuel Levinas lived through the Second World War and he, he survived that war because he was taken um, as a prisoner of war. He lost family in the camps and that is the lens through which he develops his philosophy called face-to-face philosophy. So having seen the horrors of this, of the Holocaust and the war, he develops this lens where, where one engages with another They are seized by the face of the other and respond in love, he believes. He says that we are ordered and ordained to act in service and giving to the other. But when we see the face of the other, we're not just seeing their face, we're seeing the backside of the face of God, which is a reference to Moses seeing God's glory as he's tucked in a rock. So we, we see the backside of the face of God and we are seized by that. We are, are compelled to respond with service and giving. Now, I love this idea. I feel like it, it, it has really resonated with me because my life has been changed by the love of God and Christ's love compels me to see people in a new way. Compels me not just to see people in a new way, but to to interact with people, engage with people in a new way. Through the lens of the gospel, I offer care and compassion and love, not just for Christ, but as though that person were Christ himself. Matthew 25, 40 tells us, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Seeing Jesus transforms the way Saul saw God, how Saul related to God. Seeing Jesus transform how he, his posture towards people, how he related to people, allowed him to recognize the image of the divine in each person, to recognize that they are worthy of dignity and in need of God's grace and the good news. 
So let's see what he does when he recognizes that need. In verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Seeing Jesus redefined how Saul saw himself. It redefined his purpose and his mission and his goal. Saul does a complete 180 here. He goes from one who was out to kill and destroy to one who would preach a message of hope and life. One who was focused on works and the law to one who had grace enough to share. One who tried from his own accord to one who trusts in God from one who closed the door to protect God's chosen people to one who would open the door and share the good news with the world. From one who walked in darkness to one who walked in life. From one who was blind to one who could now see. See, seeing Jesus exchanges our identity. Acts 13.9 tells us that Saul even got a new name. You may have heard of Paul, same guy, new name, new job. He became known as Paul, and he did indeed become God's instrument to the Gentiles to tell that good news. He became one of the greatest missionaries, and he wrote letters to the early churches that would make up a significant portion of our New Testament that we read today. In Romans 1, 1, he identifies himself as Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. Seeing Jesus changed Paul's perspective on everything, including how he viewed himself and his purpose. His encounter with with Christ on the road to Damascus prompts him to follow his resume that we read earlier from Philippians with this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Garbage, it's all garbage, he says. Saul is evidence that God can soften even the hardest hearts, that God can save the most violent, the most resistant, the most stubborn. God can redeem and exchange our identity. Paul himself wrote to the early, to the um, Corinthian church that the old has gone and the new has come. When you and I see the face of Jesus, when our eyes are opened to the glory and the goodness of God, in that moment, we, like Saul, have the opportunity and responsibility to respond. We respond, like Saul did, by making a 180. We respond with repentance. That's exactly what repentance means, to be going one way and to turn and to go the other way. Seeing Jesus requires a response, and not responding, by the way, is still responding. So like Saul, when we see Jesus, when we know Jesus, our identities change, and we make a 180. We become people whose hearts beat for others to know the love of Christ. Our prayers become transformed. We pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that it would be in our homes, as it is in heaven. 
in Austin as it is in heaven, in our church as it is in heaven. But for us to do that, for us to live out that prayer, we have to look up and evaluate our relationship with God. How, how do we see God? And then that affects how we see each other, how we relate and engage with one another. And then how we live our lives in the day to day. Are we people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Do our eyes look different? Have we made a 180? Saul's story reminds us that the solution to spiritual blindness is seeing the face of Jesus. It's also a story of what God can do with ordinary people like you and me who encounter an extraordinary God. It reminds us that none of us are too far or too good or too bad or too smart or too stubborn because wherever you are, God will meet you there. When we see Jesus, when we really see Jesus, It isn't that different from Saul's encounter with Christ. We may not step into a blinding light, but when you see the face of Jesus and respond with repentance, you step into the light of God's love, a light that you have to share with others. What God did for Saul, God wants to do for you. And what God did through Saul, God can do through you as well. Would you bow your heads this morning? And as you bow your heads, I'd love to consider what God is showing you today. How is God changing your perspective? Maybe you need to be reminded that you are a child of God, the King of Kings, the living God, that Jesus is Lord. Maybe God is opening your eyes to see people in a new way an extension of Christ himself, made in the image of the, vine, of the divine, worthy of dignity, in need of God's grace and good news. Maybe God is changing your perspective about God. Maybe your view of God is too small. Maybe you're seeing a side of God that you had been blind to before. Perhaps you are seeing the face of Jesus for the very first time. And if that is you this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to respond. Seeing Jesus requires a response. If you're ready to respond with repentance, to make a 180, to exchange your identity, you can do that right where you are this morning by praying a simple prayer silently in your seat, a prayer that sounds something like this. Jesus, we need you. God, Thank you for showing us your face. Thank you that you came, you died, you rose again. God, that you make a way for us to be in a relationship with our creator. Jesus, I believe that and I confess you as Lord this morning. I choose to accept the gift of grace that you have given me. And I will follow you with all that I am and this new identity. I thank you for opening our eyes to that need, God. And thank you for making a way for us to be restored. If you prayed that prayer this morning with everyone's head still bowed and eyes closed, congratulations. That is the best decision that you could ever make. That is the best response that you could ever have. And you are now a new creation, a new person. God has exchanged your identity 
And we wanna celebrate that with you. But before that, we want you to mark this moment. You can mark it by raising your hand. This just signifies that you pray that prayer, that you are a new person after seeing the face of Jesus. And we have a tradition around here that as you put your hands together, we down, we put our hands together and we tell you, welcome home, welcome to the family. <laughs> 